Welcome to Research Radio, Episode 10. The Research Radio series brings evidence-informed child welfare research to life through interviews with leading researchers. This month, we speak with Dr. Sarah McLean, Research Fellow at the Australian Centre for Child Protection, about her research on behaviours that foster carers find challenging. I am your host, Yvonne Brady. My name is Sarah McLean, I'm a research fellow and and registered psychologist uh, and I'm working currently at the Australian Centre for Child Protection. Mm. The Australian Centre for Child Protection is a national research and research translation centre in Australia. Um, So the focus of our work is to not only conduct primary research in the area of child protection uh, at all levels but also to um, translate the best available current mm. research knowledge into practice. Um, so bringing research, um, best available research knowledge to practitioners and uh, hoping to make a difference to children's lives um, through, through bringing best available knowledge into practice in the best way we can. So um, we've got those two aims. So I, I, my role in that is to conduct primary research but also draw on my clinical experience mm-hmm. to bring um, research knowledge into practice as well. Perfect. That's great. Thanks for, for that explanation as well of, of your organisation. So I wonder then if you could perhaps briefly describe the research that you'll be speaking about during today's interview, please. Well, today I'm talking about a paper that uh, we did um, a few years ago now. Uh, and what that research piece was interested in was looking at uh, the nature of behaviour issues in, in young people in out-of-home care. Um, but more importantly, what were, the, what were the nature of the behaviour issues that foster carers found problematic to deal with on a daily basis? So um, we knew, for example, that children in out-of-home care can express their, their pain and trauma and distress in a range of ways that foster carers can find challenging to manage. And we know that behaviour problems are one of the reasons given by foster carers for placement breakdown or not being able to continue on with placements of children in their care. Um, So we we thought it was really important to understand better uh, the the nature of the behaviour issues that foster carers needed to deal with. So that was the rationale behind this study. So we knew there was a lot of information out there about uh, the fact that there were a lot of behaviour problems in out-of-home care. We, we knew that there was a lot of information telling us that behaviour problems were common um, and those kind of studies used standardised checklists um, and clinical tools to tell us that there were high levels of behaviour problems. But what was missing was their foster carer's voice in this. So there was no real um, large quantitative study um, that asked foster carers about what behaviours they found problematic. So rather than going in with a standard checklist and and checking off the behaviours that were occurring, we really wanted to know from foster carers what kind of behaviours they found um, caused problems in in out-of-home care, what kind of problems, uh, behaviour problems challenged them on a daily basis. Um, And so that was the that's the rationale for the study and um, so what we did was pull together all of what the commonly used checklists, behaviour checklists that researchers use 
We also went to some of the anecdotal literature out there about what foster carers have reported to be problematic um, in terms of the kind of daily behaviours that young people can have. And we also um, worked with a foster carer support group, um, uh, focus group and support group to get uh, a richer sense of the understanding of the, some of the behaviours that might cause problems for foster carers. We drew all that, that information together um, and then we conducted an online survey for um, foster carers in Australian foster carers uh, and it, for, for what for Australian standards, it was really a, quite a large study. So that was the rationale for the study, really to understand better from the foster carer's view what kind of behaviours cause problems on a daily basis. Um, using, a, um, if you like, a methodology where we were actually starting from the ground up, uh, involving foster carers from the research from the, from the beginning. That's fantastic, kind of, that involving key stakeholders from, from the beginning of it, I think that's really, that really stood out to me as a really valuable part of the methodology when I was reading the paper and it seems like it has gone some way to fill, begin filling a gap in, in our knowledge base around kind of the behaviours that foster parents are facing. So it, it seems like it's pretty, it's quite kind of uh, forward thinking. I think for me the motivation for the study came out of uh, my own experience of working with children in, um, uh, in out-of-home care. Mm. Or, my background is in working with children um, as, a, as a clinical psychologist, working with children um, in out-of-home care who are experiencing challenging behaviours in a mental health set, service setting. Mm -hmm. uh, and as part of that, I was working a lot with children who were placed in foster care um, and working a lot with foster carers. And um, at that stage, what we were doing to foster carers was providing them the same sort of behaviour management strategies and approaches that we were providing with other families that would come to our service. And foster carers were repeatedly saying to us that these, these strategies don't work, there's something mm. different about these children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we would say, well, you know, that just can't be right because <laughs> here, here are these evidence-based techniques that we yeah, know that sure. changes behaviour. Yeah. And so... Um, I think there's a saying, and I'm not sure who it, who it is, where it comes from, and it goes something like, you know, if um, the only tool you have is a hammer, um, then everything you see is a nail, <laughs> something to that effect. So I came to the view um, over time that really what we were trying to do to foster carers and to children in our home care um, in our services was to make them fit the interventions, mm. uh, make them fit the interventions rather than the other way around. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to then be able to do a PhD or a doctoral study where I was able to then step back and reflect on mm. how might services be constructed differently, critically reflect on what kind of interventions there actually are for children in out-of-home care and how appropriate are the kind of interventions that we apply to other children uh, how appropriate are they for children in out-of-home care? What might be different for them? What might be different for foster carers? Um, and so that was the kind of motivation to really always be asking foster carers, from a foster carer's perspective, mm -hmm. what might be different for them um, and what might be different for the children that they care for. Yeah. That's fantastic. So that, thanks for giving that kind of background as well into what drew you, I guess, to, to want to research this topic. Amazing that you are able to focus on it for your PhD as well and really get into the, the, the finer details of it. I'd say that was a great opportunity.
there was a fantastic opportunity and not many practitioners would get that opportunity sure. and I think since that time there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of interest in um, some of the areas that came out of that work um, and really have been highlighted in this study as well around the impact of uh, early life adversity on brain development of young young children uh, mm -hmm. and what that might mean for their later behavior and what that might mean for those people who care for them on a daily basis. Oh wow, that's fantastic. And I think we might actually come to, to look at that um, kind of the more tangible outcomes of your research as well in a, in a couple of minutes, I'd say. But maybe before we kind of um, go forward to that, I wonder if you could identify maybe three or as many of the key findings from your research uh, um, as you'd like and explain them in terms that are maybe clear for non-academics. I think one of the key findings for me, or one of the significant findings for me, was the importance of working in a way where we co-construct research with foster carers, mm -hmm. where we're involving foster carers um, in, in research, where we're asking foster carers their view about um, what's going on in foster care and what kind of behaviours are um, problematic for them, mm -hmm. rather than prescribing uh, mm -hmm. our interventions or our supports onto them. Um, we often assume that child who's difficult uh, or out of control is the child that causes problems for foster carers. Um, but there might be other issues for foster carers that are really happen on a daily basis that really are more stressful over, t mm. over time and make it more difficult for foster carers to sustain their support for children over time. So that was the, one of the main learnings for me out of this study. Uh, another one was that there were, when we asked foster carers about what it was that caused problems in foster care and we applied this methodology, we found four main groups of behaviours that were problematic and one of those was the one that most people would be familiar with, which is around aggressive and controlling behaviour and these are the kind of behaviours that come to the attention of mental health services. Uh, the kind of squeaky wheel behaviours um, that get a lot of support and intervention. Mm -hmm. um, another was around uh, risky and otherwise sexual, sexual, sexualised behaviours and other, otherwise risky behaviours. Mm -hmm. So things like um, uh, self-harm, drug and alcohol use or running away from the foster home. Um, so what was interesting about that, that group of behaviours for me was that uh, it wasn't just about the self-harm or the sexualised behaviour, but also about, at some level, how it threatened foster family identities. So um, the sense of belonging, like, for example, when young people um, don't, in a public setting, would run, run off to any stranger, um, don't recognise a sense of family. Foster carers find that really stressful to deal with. Um, another one was around uh, another group of behaviours that foster carers found problematic was, was children who had really um, high levels of anxiety and really were quite reliant on the foster carer on a daily basis. So um, they had lots of high levels of separation anxiety, um, problems falling to sleep, lots of demanding of attention and so on, really quite clingy. Um, mm. And foster carers found that really difficult to manage on a daily basis. But the main problem uh, area that problem behaviour, set of problem behaviours, if you like, um, that that came out for us was a group of behaviours that really had a lot to do with um, children's underlying brain development. So things like 
memory, learning, um, attention, concentration, organisation skills. And what that looked like for carers was things like children being really poorly organised, um, having trouble forgetting, remembering instructions, um, having memory problems generally, having problems with schoolwork, having problems paying attention, um, having problems transitioning from uh, a task, one task to another, a conversation to another. Uh, and so these were a group of behaviours that have, people can generally refer to as problems with uh, executive functioning. Um, so a broad group of behaviours that really reflect underlying problems with memory, learning and organisation and language. Um, and that was a, a, a finding that hadn't been highlighted before um, for foster carers. Uh, and I think that's significant because it really um, shows that foster carers are struggling or say, are saying to us that they are struggling with these kind of issues on a daily basis. Um, and those are different to the kind of behaviours that we might focus on in our behaviour interventions or our mental health services which, are, which tend to be the kind of aggressive and violent uh, oppositional behaviours. Mm -hmm. um, so this was a key finding in, in the sense that it was, it was really one of the first really one of the first studies that's looked at this issue um, in foster care and it's really once we've asked foster carers what kind of problems they find problematic, um, very clearly they are saying that these kind of memory, learning and organisation problems that reflect um, early life experiences in, ch in children and their brain development really cause problems on a daily basis mm. for foster carers. I'm, I'm just trying to remember now, but am I right in thinking that that component of the kind of more cognitive challenges, that was one of the larger groups of behaviours, is that correct or have I remembered that wrong? Yes, that was one of the main findings of the okay. study, yes, so that was yeah. one of the, yes, that was one of the main um, significant findings of the study, so uh, one of the main causes of uh, problematic behaviours was a large group of behaviours that, that grouped together um, you would describe as problems with executive functioning, mm -hmm. so problems with um, memory, learning, organisation, language and so on. Uh, so sorry. the kind of things that cause problems, um, and what's significant about that is that not only that these, it's difficult to um, manage um, and organise and plan when you're trying to support a young person with these kind of issues. Mm -hmm. But when we as professionals come in with a behaviour management plan um, that relies on language skills, that relies on reflection, that relies on um, the linking consequences mm -hmm. with actions, um, those kind of implicit assumptions that are in, those kind of assumptions that are embedded in traditional behaviour management programs um, aren't really applicable to young people with these kind of challenges. Mm -hmm. So it means that we really need to be thinking a little bit differently about how we support foster carers uh, to support children with these kind of um, memory planning and organisation and language issues. So then how do you think that um, child welfare practitioners can benefit uh, from an understanding and awareness of these issues, kind of the, the larger significance of those executive functioning issues and things like that? Well I think first, firstly um, uh, I think it's really important that that welfare workers, that um, practitioners, uh, welfare workers, other professionals, um, 
who might read this paper or listen to this interview uh, recognise that uh, the importance of listening to the voice of carers. So while we might conduct research that um, we come in without, where we come in with our tools and our ideas about what causes problems for foster carers, when we actually listen to the voice of carers, it's a, we get a very different picture. So I think that's uh, the first thing. I think it's really important for, for practitioners to really be aware of the voice of carers. Um, I think I also hope that these, the findings from this study um, really highlight the, um, the pervasive and the, uh, uh, the underlying functional, pervasive nature of the underlying functional difficulties mm -hmm. that young people can experience. Um, and what that means to them on their life, in their life on a daily basis. Um, we're, we're becoming increasingly aware of the impact of early life adversity on young people's brain development uh, and how they can be affected in a range of ways, including um, sensory integration issues, including language, including planning and organisation skills, and including trouble with flexible thinking. Um, and so I think. Being, for practitioners to be more aware of the impact of memory, language and um, sensory regulation issues, uh, but also these anxiety issues um, and self-reliance issues, anxiety and um, social anxiety issues uh, amongst young people. Um, I think that having a heightened awareness of that will really um, change, I hope the way that they support foster carers. Um, and so I hope that it might lead to a more, um, perhaps to think in more imaginative and adaptive ways about some of the systemic issues in, uh, around foster care. For example, how we um, design supports and training. So perhaps training and supports might focus a little bit more on um, some of the issues of executive functioning and some of the issues on how we support children with planning and organisation skills. How do we adapt um, instructions to children? Um, how do we tailor our language? How do we use visual prompts and, and so on mm. to assist memory? Um, how do we support foster carers to support children through transitions which are, which are problematic for children with executive functioning issues? So how can we assist them? How can we minimise transitions, for example? Um, in out-of-home care, um, and, and we know that um, we know that transitions are an inherent part of the foster care system. So, children in foster care and foster carers, therefore, have to manage an, a huge amount of transitions. Um, transitions from home to uh, family visits, um, home from foster home to school and back, even from social worker to social worker. Um, conversations to conversations are difficult. Those kind of transitions are difficult for children with um, underlying functional uh, issues of brain development. So how can we tailor supports better for foster carers to, to deal with these executive functioning issues? How can we um, tailor our trainer and supports and our systems better to deal with transitions and to deal with executive functioning? And also um, how can we support children uh, with these levels of anxiety um, and how can we support foster carers to manage the anxiety levels of children. 
um, and how can we support uh, foster carers to um, to manage uh, risky behaviours which they might, um, particularly those that make them feel as though the foster carer, uh, the foster child doesn't feel as though they belong to the family. So these kind of things like running away or um, running off in public spaces. So it's about um, how can we think in more adaptive ways about how to support the foster carers, particularly around the issues of executive functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like there's a huge amount of potential and scope for these findings to, be, to, to impact on practice. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, kind of, you touched on this earlier, but um, have there been any um, tangible outcomes of the research, or are you, are you aware of any ways in which this research itself has actually affected practice, or um, foster parents, or children in out-of-home care? Or I know it was perhaps only published last year, so it might be early days, but um, have you got any insight into any of those things? Um, well, yes, you're right, it has only just been yeah. um, published, but uh, there has been a lot of interest. Um, and I think the interest has been peaked really because of um, because of the way we're starting to think differently about uh, behaviour of mm -hmm. children in out-of-home care. Um, there has been a lot of interest in thinking differently about children's needs in, in out-of-home care. There has been a lot of interest in, in supporting foster carers in more sophisticated and tailored ways. Um, we have um, an application in for some funding at the moment to develop um, a program of research translation. Um, what we're hoping to do, and we've, and we've got a lot of interest uh, in, in foster care agencies working with us, is around um, developing up now some resources, a re package of resources and training materials that really addresses some of these issues around functional problems underpinning children's behaviour. Mm. So how can we support carers to identify um, what might be going on for young people? And once they've identified it, what is the best available evidence? What is the best available evidence about how to respond? What should we be doing um, in terms of structuring the environment? What should we be doing in terms of how we speak to young people? Um, how can we deliver instructions? How can we tell them what we want them to do in a way that makes sense to them? How can we... Um, use visual prompts and so on to help them manage their world. And so the purpose of this resource is to support foster carers, to support the children so that we can maximise placement stability. Um, and we are hoping that this resource um, will be co-developed with foster carers mm -hmm. and because it's really important that carers are involved in the, in the development process but also that it's a resource that it's not only evidence-based, which is significant, but it's also um, developed in a form that has appropriate language, that is a, it's in a form that the language makes sense. Um, the delivery is a, in a form that makes sense to foster carers. Um, and the whole package is, is what foster carers actually want mm -hmm. in the way that they can use it. Um, and because one of the things that we found in the past is that a lot of the information for foster carers is, is delivered in standard training packages and foster carers are saying very clearly that that's not what they want. Mm. Um, so that's where we're up to in terms of um, the impact on practice at the moment. So we're hoping mm. that, um, that this kind of information about 
the underpinning deficits, um, problems that young people can have in, in terms of their brain development, um, that this, is, this information is really important. Um, we have that information from research in neuropsychology. Mm -hmm. um, we now have that information really in another way from yeah. foster carers. Mm -hmm. And so pulling all that information together, we know that moving forward, um, any kind of training and supports that we develop for foster carers should really um, be looking at how we incorporate issues of memory, learning and language in um, supporting foster carers in, in managing challenging behaviour into the future. You have been listening to Research Radio, Episode 10, a conversation with Dr Sarah McLean. Research Radio is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organisation that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about this episode's topic, Research Radio, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.partcanada.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PartEIP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P. Thanks for listening.